The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Great, it's our great, great honor to call upon our first speaker tonight, Rabbi Uri Lati from Brooklyn, New York. He gives Shirem and Halab unknown. He gives Shirem in person, virtually. He really, nothing stops him. Rabbi Uri Lati. Welcome everyone to Tu Bishvat Stories to Inspire event. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me an opportunity to speak on behalf of Stories to Inspire. Thank you, of course, Stories to Inspire, Hazak, Torah Anytime, the Talit Man, and Chesed Anytime. You know, the best stories come from the Gemara itself. There's a Gemara Masechet Ta'anit that tells us about Huniya Me'agil. Huniya Me'agil, he was named a Me'agil because anytime Ami said in a dream, he would put himself in a circle and promise to Hashem, I will not leave the circle until you send Matar, until you send rain to Am Yisrael, to Bnei Yisrael, to the nation of Yisrael, and send them salvation. So Haniya Me'agil was always bothered by the Pasuk that it says, Beshub Hashem et Shibat Siyon hayinu kecholemim. When Hashem rebuilt the second Beit HaMikdash, and it took us from the first destruction to the second Beit HaMikdash, we were like dreamers. And Huniya Me'agil says, what's the difference between the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash and the rebuilding of the second Beit HaMikdash? Seventy years. He says, does anybody sleep for seventy years? What does that mean? We were like dreamers. It felt like a dream. Who sleeps for seventy years? The Gemara continues and it says that he was walking one day and he saw a person planting a carob tree. And we know a carob tree takes seventy years to grow. And he asks the person, why are you planting this carob tree? Will you eat from its fruit? And the person says, I won't eat. Maybe my child will eat. Maybe my grandson will eat. Just like my father did for me, I will do for my children, for my grandchildren. Hunayamagal continues on his way and he's eating he's eating his lunch. In the middle of eating his lunch, he falls asleep. He wakes up and he doesn't recognize the surroundings. He sees a person next to the carob tree, the same carob tree which we talked about earlier, and he asks the person, are you the same person that uh, planted the carob tree? He says, no, I'm his grandson. So Hanayah says, whoa, it must be that I slept for 70 years. Now I understand the pasuk. The Gemara continues and explains exactly what happened with Hanayah which is really not relevant to our anyan, to our point right now. I want to bring out a very simple question. Yes, of course, it's obvious that 70 years he slept because Hashem was showing him 70 years between the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash and the rebuilding of the second one, that's 70 years. But what's that magical number 70? We can say perhaps that 70 is the same gematria as Yayin. Yod, Yod, Nun, which is 10, 10, and 50, make gematria 70. Which means Yayin the more the yayin ages, the more the wine ages, the better it tastes. The older it is, the better it tastes. From Shamaim that were telling Honiha Me'agil, look, a person in life has great potential. But the potential doesn't show right away. The potential will take maybe sometimes months, sometimes years, sometimes 70 years, like that fine bottle of wine where it only tastes, tastes better the more it ages, the more a person grows in life, the more potential he has in life, the more we see what capabilities he has in life. Which brings us really to Tu Bishvat. 
What happens in Tu Bishvat? The trees don't blossom. The trees start growing right now. The trees start growing right now to tell us that we are likened to a tree. The Torah says, Ki For man is likened to a tree. We bear fruits. We have potential. We can reach greatest heights. We have so much capabilities that we can reach. And the more that we use our capabilities that Hashem has given us, the more we can grow. Just like that fine bottle of wine, the more it ages, the more it grows, the more it tastes better. Just like us, the more we grow. And growth doesn't happen overnight. It sometimes happens over years. Sometimes you will see your growth. You will see the potential that you left in the world. Sometimes it will be shown through your son. Sometimes it will be shown through your grandson. But never underestimate yourself. You have so much capabilities, so much potential. You can reach the, 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 highest, the highest levels in the world. You know, we know that Tu Bishvat is exactly 40 days before Chaf He Adar. What's so significant about Chaf He Adar? Well, there's a mahlokit in the Gemara between Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi, pardon me, Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Al-Azhar. Rabbi Al-Azhar. was Adam HaRishon created? One opinion says Aleph Nisan, one opinion says Aleph Tishrei. If Adam HaRishon was created in Aleph Tishrei, the world was created seven days prior. So seven days prior from Aleph Tishrei is Chaf He Elul. That we know. What's seven days prior to Aleph Nisan? That's Chaf He Adar. So the world was created Chaf He Adar. Go 40 days before Chaf He Adar, that makes Tu Bishvat. Now what's so significant about the number 40? We know that it takes 40 days for embryo to turn into a fetus. To have some life. Hashem is showing us, I created the whole world for you. To show you how much you can reach. To show you how awesome you are. The power that you have in the world. But I'm showing you that it takes 40 days. You have to grow still. It's not going to happen overnight. Sometimes it takes 40 days. Sometimes it takes 40 months. Sometimes it takes 70 years. But never underestimate the power that you have. You can bear fruits. The fruits start showing from now. Yes. We can't eat from them. They don't blossom. They don't bud until maybe in Nisan time, then Birkat Elohim time. But they start growing right now. The potential that you have is right now. Tu Bishvat is all about the potential that you have. Just like Honey Ma'agel saw it in the person planting the carob tree. Maybe he didn't eat from it. His grandson, his child, his descendants, also us. We have to keep on growing, keep on striving up and up and up. Sometimes it's shown by us, it's shown by our children, it's shown by our grandchildren. But again, we always have that amazing potential that Hashem Barakh has given us. May we take this lesson from Hunyam Agil, from Tubishvat. It's not Hag La Ilanot, it's not only a holiday for the trees, it's a holiday for yourself. It's a holiday for you to grow, to grow in Torah, in Mitzvot, in Ma'asim Tobim, in kindness, in the learning of Torah. In growing to the to reaching the greatest heights possible, they could connect yourself to Hashem. May we always understand uh, the the power that we have. May we always understand the potential that we have and reach those levels which Hashem deemed for us to reach. And hopefully, next year in Tu Bishvat we'll all celebrate together in the Beit Hamikdash in the coming of Mashiach Sitkenu. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, stories to inspire. Thank you, the Hazak. Thank you, Talit Men. 
Thank you to Hesed anytime and of course Torah anytime. Thank you so much for your amazing story and lesson. Our next speaker is Mr. Josh Brody. He was a tremendous renowned speaker and 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 his and, and his video and his videos enthusiasm really makes such an impact. It's a great honor to call upon Mr. Josh Brody. One of the things that I think is hardest for people to do is often to bridge the gap between things that we know and how we feel. We can know something to be true, but that doesn't always help us when things don't go the way we expect. So even though we know it to be true, we still feel that sense of anxiety or nervousness. This is especially true in the realm of bitachon. We know that Hashem runs the world. We know it. But when things go wrong or go in a way that we don't expect, often we get tremendously anxious or nervous or scared because we just can't really bridge the gap between the things that we know and the emotions that we feel. And you know, sometimes when this happens often enough, you start to ask yourself, is it even possible? Can I ever get to the point where I know Hashem runs the world enough that I don't have to worry about anything because it'll be the way Hashem wants it to be? The answer to that question is a resounding yes. Let me tell you a short story to prove the point. Back in February 1969, plane takes off from Newark on its way to Miami. A little while into the flight, two terrorists get up, pull out knives, grab the flight attendants, announce they're taking the plane to Cuba. Now this is actually a common occurrence in the late 60s. They march the flight attendants into the cockpit to tell the pilots what's happening. Now they don't really hear much coming from the, from the passengers. So one of the terrorists comes out with a knife held to the throat of the stewardess to tell everyone what's happening. And the reaction that they get? People started laughing. People start pointing and they're laughing and they're clapping. Now, this is incredible. Their plane has just been hijacked. Something that happened all the time, or often enough. And yet the people were not scared. They were laughing at it. You have to ask why. I mean, were these people masters of bitachon that somehow they weren't worried because they knew that Hashem was in charge? Well, the answer is that one of the people not laughing was a guy named Alan Funt. Now, in case you don't know who Alan Funt is, back in the 60s, Alan Funt hosted a television show called Candid Camera. Now, back in the days before YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, Candid Camera was the original show where they would stage these ridiculous scenarios with hidden cameras in order to try to catch the reaction of people who didn't know what was going on. And they showed it on TV, and the people who were being fooled were often, you know, the point of the show was people would laugh at them. Now, Alan Funt happened to be on vacation at the time. But when he got on the plane, many people saw him and assumed, hey, if Alan Funt is here, hey, I don't want to be the guy that gets laughed at on national television. I'm going to make sure that I keep my senses when whatever happens, happens. And so when the, this hijacking happened, everyone assumed that it was just another element of Candid Camera. It was an episode of Candid Camera. No problem. And so they laughed at it. And they all enjoyed a flight down to Havana where they were guests of Fidel Castro for a few days until the release was negotiated. But the thing is, you can see from this story, they thought, they knew that it wasn't real. They were wrong. But in their minds, they were so convinced that they could look at what on the outside was a very challenging, difficult, even terrifying situation, and they laughed at it. You know, at the end of the day, once we work at it enough that we truly believe that we know that Hashem runs the world, then it doesn't really matter what happens because it's just another episode of Candid Camera. No one's laughing. Hashem wants to see how we're going to react. 
But if we're able to take the knowledge that we have and really focus on it, it can control our emotions to get us to the point that no matter what's happening in our lives, we can deal with it in a way that's calm and relaxed because you know that ultimately Hashem is the one that's pulling the strings. Thank you for your amazing words. Our next speaker is Rabbi Yoshua Nissan from the Memphis Coal. Well, um, uh, we want to remind everyone to continue sharing this link, torningtime.com slash Chazak Live for this amazing uh, Tubishvat Stories to Inspire event. Um, it's a great honor to call upon Rabbi Nissan. Hello everyone, welcome, welcome to everyone watching a big Yasha Kayach and thank you Stories to Inspire for all the incredible work that you do spreading inspiration and vitality into the Jewish people. It's incredible and thank you for having me join. Fellow came to Aaron Leib Steinman and he was feeling very dejected because every time he would try and grow, every time he would try and accept something on himself, he would always end up slipping, falling, failing. He'd never be able to make it to the finish line. He'd never be able to stay up. But every up also would come with a down. If he'd say that I'll concentrate on Shemona Esrei, most of it would go by in a blur. Maybe he'd catch a line or two. If he'd say that he'd learn with focus, mostly he'd nod off, but catch a few minutes here and there. Or he'd only understand a little bit of the discussion. So he came... So Rabbi Steinman, what should I do? This feels pathetic, painful, a failure. What's the point? Rabbi Steinman told the fellow as follows. That many, many years ago, in Yerushalayim, people were so poor, they had no money. And it was a particularly difficult time. And everyone was struggling to put basic food on the table. And it was at this time that there was a Rebbe in Cheder. And he had just completed some learning with the boys. And he knew it was hard times. He knew no one had money and nobody had food, but he felt he just must celebrate with these boys their accomplishment. He must celebrate the sweetness of Torah with these guys. So he pinched together some money and he bought a small cake. Wished that he could give them each something, but no, of course, that was not possible. But a small cake that he would cut up to even smaller pieces for everyone in the class so that they could celebrate their learning. And he came and he takes the boys and they're singing and he says, look, we learned, it's amazing. And he pulls out the cake, he says, let's celebrate. And he starts to slice up the cake into these teeny pieces for each of these starving boys. 
And as can be expected with each boy, they get their cake and they put it right in their mouth. Delicious, amazing, it's food and it's a delicacy. But not one boy. One boy takes this little cake and he wraps it up in a napkin. And the Rebbe said, Yelad, sweet boy, tired of yingle. Why don't you eat the cake? Celebrate. He said, yes, Rebbe, I would love to. But I know my father's at home and he hasn't eaten in three days. And I know he's really going to love this cake. I want to save it for him. The Rebbe says, wow, that's beautiful. Well, as the day goes on, this piece of cake in his pocket It's burning a hole in his pocket. He's also very hungry. And he thinks to himself, you know, maybe just a little nibble, my father. Still bring home to my father, but just take a little nibble. The cake smells so good. I'm so hungry. And he reaches into his pocket and he breaks off a little piece of the cake. Half hour later, his stomach's growling. He reaches in, pulls off another crumb. Throughout the day, just little pieces off his cake. The end of the day comes. He goes running home. He says, Abba, Abba, I have a surprise for you. I have something for you. So I says, what, what? He pulls out the napkin. I brought you cake. And he opens it up. And there is just one teeny piece of cake left. Nibbled on all sides. The boy throughout the day had accidentally eaten most of that small piece and brought home just one teeny bite. The boy sees and he feels embarrassed. He didn't bring home the cake after all. And the father says to the boy, you have nothing to be embarrassed of. Do you know how proud I am of you? Do you know how much love I feel from this cake? And I feel back towards you, my sweet boy, my dear son. He said, because you, you are embarrassed because you're focused on all the chewed up edges of this cake. You're focused on all the parts that are missing. He said, I see that too. I see the nibbled edges. But what I see much, much more than that, what shouts and grabs my attention so much more is the piece that you didn't eat. Is the piece that you did bring home for me. That you didn't eat the whole cake. You saved something for me. That shines and pulls at my heart and is such a great gift That yes, I see the nibbled edges, but they're irrelevant in light of the delight I have from the peace that did come home. Said Rebbe Aaron Liebstein to this fellow, yeah, you fall, yeah, you fail. And Hashem sees that, He sees the nibbled edges. But so much more than that, Hashem sees the little peace that you do bring home.
Hashem sees that you didn't stay down. Hashem sees that you fought, and for two lines, that cake you did bring home. And for ten minutes of learning, that you did focus for. And for your tefillin, one day, you put them on a little better. And one day, you acted a little kinder. And maybe you got angry 90 times, but one time you held back from saying what you wanted to say. Hashem sees the nibbled edges. But what shines so much greater, what Hashem loves and appreciates so much more, is the peace you did bring home. Is the part that you pushed so that it all didn't disappear. So that in all of the bumps and all the nibbles and all the failings, there were successes. You brought a gift to Hashem. And that Hashem sees and loves more than anything else. As we attempt to grow, when we think about Tu B'Shvah, Rosh Hashanah Le'ilonais, and the Pasuk and Dvarim tells us that every one of us is a tree, a person is like a tree. We're here to grow. We're here to blossom, to evolve, to constantly change and become somebody greater. That's what life's about, but sometimes we get confused about what that looks like. And all we see is the nibbled edges. Then we don't see the value in what we're doing, the steps we're taking, the little crumbs we're bringing home. But Hashem sees them and He celebrates them and He loves us and He brings us close and He gives us a kiss on our head. And He says, I see the nibbled edges, but who cares? I see that glorious kernel of light that you did bring home. And if we're going to grow, if we're going to blossom like the trees that we're meant to be, to bear fruit and light up the world. We have to see it the way Hashem sees it, the way Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinemann said to see it. And know that just like a magnificent tree, it all came from one teeny seed that did not look marvelous, look dusty, and got stuck in the dirt decayed and then sprung forth in its magnificence. We, compared to a tree, we also come from a seed. That that which changes us, that which transforms who we are, it's small. It's nibbled around the edges. But it's a kernel of goodness that we chose to do for Hashem, that we chose to do to become something more. It's that little seed that's not small at all because in it, it contains such profound connection with Hashem and all of our future magnificence will grow out of that one crumb, that one seed, those choices we make in the midst of everything else, that here I will bring this home for my Hashem, for my growth, for my greatness, and for my connection. And then, 
we will see all the growth and all the blossoming that we have buried inside of ourself with that crumb, that seed, those holy actions nibbled around the edges, but ever precious and dear in Hashem's eyes. The seeds that light up the world. Thank you for your amazing remarks. Our next speaker is Rabbi Daniel Koren, who is one of the rabbis of 18 Forshe, based Medrash Or Chaim, a tremendous institution in Shul, and, and this is such a tremendous work, the uh, 18 Forshe, based Medrash Or Chaim. Rabbi, Rabbi Nachum Shiner has been a speaker, I believe, at one of the previous uh, events of uh, stories of, of, the, of one of these stories to inspire events, and he's a tremendous asset and, and does so much for Claudia Yisrael, and also as well as Rabbi Koren. It's a great honor to call upon Rabbi Daniel Koren. I grew up in El Tisol. There was a beautiful song about the birds chirping. Beautiful idea of Tu Bishvat being a very happy and momentous and a yomtev. That's what Chazal call it. So of course, on, there's two levels. There's the halachic level. It's actually a, the date that differentiates between different fruits and therefore the halachas of Chumas and Maises, those that live in El Tisol. It's very important to understand that. But number two, of course, there's the, we'll call it the Hasidic and the Pneumius of this Gemara and this amazing day. So, first of all, Rashi says it's when the sap, the sraf, goes up to the tree. And it's really, so to speak, the rejuvenation of the tree that produces the fruits. Now, this sap is something that is physical, but it's also something that tells us a lot about ourselves too. Because the Gemara says in Masechah's Tainis Ki'odamitz that we are likened to the tree. And therefore, as much as we can take lessons from the tree and incorporate that into our lives, into our spiritual lives, the better. That's the message. I'll deepen it even more. The Tasha Rebbe says something so interesting, and it applies this year, of course, and always year, but this year may be even, even more special. And that is the idea that Tu has the Oirois, the light of Purim. How is that so? Because 30 days before the Chag, you take on the halachas of the Chag itself, 30 days before Purim. It happens to be now, it's two double Purim, so it's Purim Katan. Purim Katan is also a Purim. But says the Tashreb even deeper, really 30 days before a holiday has the Oiros of the Yantif. Purim is 30 days before Pesach. So Pesach lights come to Purim, and Purim comes to Tu Bishvat. So in a way, there's a combination, unique combination in Tu Bishvat. What is that combination? So there's an amazing Rashi that tells us in Masechah's Tainus 2 that Yemei Nisan and Adar are Yemei Nisim. Miracle days. Let's take that a little bit more to a practical level and with a story. Rav Shimshon Pinkus and his amazing Sefer on Nefesh Shimshon and Tfilah, something that we recently, we've been learning actually for quite a few years and a year is already, and we recently said of an amazing story, listen to the story that Rav Shimshon relates, and it's about the Kreach of What it means that we're living in a Zman of Tubishvat, which is Be'etzem Yemei Nisim. What does that mean? It says Rav Shimshon, there was a story, a Hasidic story. There was an army in the city, and the soldiers were coming into their houses, and they were looting, and it was a terrible situation. It was intolerable. So the people of the city went to the Rebbe, those Hasidic Rebbe, and they asked him, please help us, we need salvation. So the Rebbe said, no problem, give me a thousand ruble for charity, I'm going to daven, the soldiers are going to leave. So some of them, of course, there was a misnagdim, and they said, no, we're not going to do it, no way. We don't have enough money ready as it is. So how are we going to give you a thousand rubles? But the Hasidim and I put it together, they got the t- a thousand rubles, 
and the Rebbe Davind, and the next day, a letter came, the soldiers are leaving town. So, it sounded great, the Rebbe pulled it off. The Misalvim, of course, the Misnagnim, came to the Rebbe and said, you know what, and they ended up giving some of the money too, it must be that somehow they were convinced, okay, whatever, I have no choice, maybe they taxed them, they came and they said, Rebbe, give us back the money. The Rebbe said, what? Give us back the money. Why is that? He said, wait a minute. The letter it took place in the old days, of course. It took longer than what it takes today. It, it was clear that it was already sent two days before. Before the Rebbe even got the money to Davin. And therefore, it must not be the tefillah of the Rebbe. So the Rebbe said, you're wrong. You wanted me to Davin today that the soldiers should be, should be taken away, should go away only after two days? The fact that I dive in now really just caused the soldiers to leave much earlier. Of course, it sounds very confusing. So they went to the Din Teireh. What's going on? Who's right? The Rebbe is claiming that he actually did them a favor by dominating today, so this way you won't take two more days for the soldiers to leave. They went to the Rav of the city and the Rav of the city Paskin that the Rebbe is right. And he put a raya that Tefillah works retroactively. He actually bought a fascinating ride from base Ovid Edom Agiti, who had the oven in his house, and it says because the oven was in his house, so the daughters, the the daughters in laws had babies, children, six in in the stomach. Mamish like like Mitzrayim, and the whole point there is, says the rubber, wait a minute, the oven was there only for three months. It must be that retroactively, the nace and the and the, and the miracle that took place was retroactively at six months even before. Why? Because of the schus of having it in the house. Says Reb Shimshin, a person has to know. Just like a tree, it looks like a tree could be almost dry. And yet, miraculously, we understand that it really even looks physically, but we know that it's a miracle. When a tree rejuvenates, it's, it's a miracle. And the fact that now we look at the fruits and we understand that, wait a minute, the whole time when it looked like it was drying up, really there was sap and there was things going on. A human being has to know, I'm approaching Tu Bishvat. It's a time to daven. It's actually brought down to daven for the Esrog, if you deepen the understanding of the whole Esrog as a lave. It's a time to say, Before I daven, I believe that Tefillah is Mechaye Mesin. Especially on this day, which is a combination of Nisim Geluim and Nisim Nistarim, meaning Purim and Nisan and Pesach. Hashem should be Mechabal HaTefillahs. Powerful message. Our next speaker is Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi, the author of Mishnah Burat Tiferet, one of the rabbis of, of J-Wave, of J-Wave uh, program for Chaz, uh, of Chazak for Jewish public school teenagers. Um, and such an such a inspiration and light for Klai Yisrael. It's a great honor to go upon Rabbi Rahimi. Thank you, Stories to Inspire, all the way from Los Angeles, you know, awesome organization. Everyone is talking about Stories to Inspire. By the way, thank you, Torah, anytime for the Daily Dose. Woo, Daily Dose is rocking. I cannot wait for the app. Thank you so much for Chazak with that letter called Q. I'll share with you a quick story about the power of making Beracha out loud. Lichvod, the holiday, if it's a holiday, it is a holiday, fine, of Tu Bishvat. The Helige Helige Chaga Tu Bishvat. What is Tu Bishvat all about? About blessings, making Berachot, making Berachot out loud. Let me share with you a beautiful story. There was a woman from Bernabrak who said over that she put her kids to sleep. 
She sits in a couch reading a magazine, all peaceful. Woohoo, the birds are chipping, the birds are sleeping, but everything is all peaceful. She sits, suddenly she hears her child in the kitchen screaming, like a little kid screaming the bracha. She runs to the kitchen. She says, my son is not up. It's already like 11 o'clock at night. What's going on? She runs to the kitchen. What does she see? She sees her son holding like a bottle, little capsule, as they call it, of Tylenol, of medicine, of painkillers. And the son was about to chuck it down. And we know it should never happen to any of us. But it says, keep away from children for a reason. If that child would have swallowed those pills, it would have been bad news for the Jews. But because he was taught to make a beracha out loud, Say the beracha out loud. This boy made a shehakol before having the pills. But because he said it out loud, his mother all the way from the living room was able to hear him. So she was able to save him because he made a beracha out loud. The Rishi Shiva Rablaze Ginsburg always says, those who say berachot out loud in the houses will be saved from many, many machalot, many, many pain, many, many sicknesses. Everyone should always be healthy. Take upon yourself to try to say berachot proudly as much as possible. Sometimes you could be around people and you might feel shy, uncomfortable, and intimidated to make a beracha out loud. Don't be intimidated. Think about the other way. Here's your chance to throw. Here's your chance to throw Torah in Yerat Shamaim. Here's your chance to spread Torah and the power of God on that table. You're next to people that don't make berachot, or you're next to people that don't make berachot out loud, you be that guy that makes the beracha out loud. Don't be obnoxious, you know, but say the beracha out loud. Show off the fact that you're blessing God. Don't be ashamed. Show it off. I bless Hashem. I thank Hashem in public out loud so you can all hear. You're in the office and you're about to have your cup of coffee. Say shehakol niyabidvol loud enough that someone can answer amen. Be proud of serving Hashem. Be proud of thanking Hashem. That's what we could take upon itself in this beautiful holiday, Chag of Tu Bishvat, to bless Hashem more properly, to bless Hashem loud and actually show it off that we have the ability to thank Hashem. Thank you so much for listening. Your tremendous remarks. Our next speaker is Rabbi Yechiel Spiro, world-renowned speaker and author. As we know, he's authored books that have sold thousands of copies, touched by a story series. And it's a great honor to call upon Rabbi Spiro. Tu Bishvat is here. And with it, the end of the winter is drawing near. And you look outside, and you might see empty barren trees you might see snow on the ground you certainly don't see trees in full bloom you don't see flowers sprouting so what do you mean the new year for trees is here simply not true and Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch says a beautiful explanation he says, The man is like the tree of the field. And it's true, if you look outside, you will see winter. But even though there's strong winds and winter storms that threaten that tree's existence, so long as the tree holds strong to its roots, then comes springtime, And the tree, the flowers will indeed blossom and grow beautifully once again. And therefore, 
This is when the sap of the tree comes through the roots and it begins to filter throughout the tree. The tree is holding strong to its roots and it's ready for spring to arrive. Rav Mordechai Gifter, the Telzer of Shiva, lived in Telstone. And it was after one very harsh winter rainstorm that he was walking in the forest of Abu Ghosh together with his Talmud. At that time, Moshe Scheinerman, who would later go on to become Rav Moshe Scheinerman, a Choshevarov today in New York. And they're walking, and there is smoke rising from the ground. It was a harsh, unforgiving rain, and it had just stopped. And he's walking together with his Talmud, and he looks, and he points, and he says, Moshe, look! There was a tiny little flower that had fought its way to the top of the ground, and it had finally sprouted and bloomed. And Rav Gifter started to cry, and his Talmud was astounded, crying over a flower. And Rav Gifter told him, very soon, this entire barren forest where the trees are bare and there's no greenery. Soon it's going to be lush and full of growth and beautiful, amazing trees and flowers. And you will never know that it was ever same is true with the Geula. The same is true with our final redemption. There will come a time soon and we will experience joy and a happiness and only good things. There will be no pain and suffering. The Geula will come. The redemption will be here. And we'll never know there was ever pain. And then Rav Gifter started to cry uncontrollably and he said but where is the flower of redemption we're waiting for that one little sign until then hold on to your roots hold strong he's coming he'll be here any day thank you for your touching remarks our next speaker is Rabbi Label Lamb all the way from Muncie, New York tremendous war renowned speaker and, and lecture, and they're going to have to call upon Rabbi Leibolam. I heard a phrase like this. Anybody can tell you how many seeds are in an apple, but only Hashem can tell you how many apples are in a seed. It must have been 25 years ago. My wife and I went to a L'chaim in Monroe, Satmar. It was my first time there. And the father of the chassan, sat me down next to him and he was holding on to me tightly because we were close with the Kala. And then he pointed off in a certain direction and he said, you see that woman over there? And I told him, I don't look at women. And he said, it's my mother. I said, okay. He told me that she has 
17 children. And each of her children has 16 and 17 children. She has a thousand descendants. And her father was a Ben Yachid, an only son, a survivor of the war. I was amazed. Maybe 10 years later, in Brooklyn, I was giving a lecture on Tubishvat, and I was mentioning the point that the greatest people, from Avram Avinu to Aaron Cutler, did not see the full production of their accomplishments in their lifetime. They only saw a little seed that was beginning to germinate, and that's it. And I mentioned that this woman has a thousand descendants and her father was a Ben Yochid. How could he have known what was gonna come from this daughter? And then afterwards, a young lady came over to me and she said, Rabbi, is her last name? And she mentioned the last name. I said, yes, that's the last name. And she said, she just passed away this week. And the article said that she had, by that time, 2,000 descendants. And within the week, she had four children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, that were named for her already. Wow. Anybody can tell you how many seeds are in an apple, but only Hashem can tell you how many apples are in a seed. So much your 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 amazing amazing remarks. Next speaker is Rabbi Rabbi Mike Bengio, who is the director of NCSY Chile. He's the, edu, he's the educational he's the educational director of uh, for Latin America, and he's an international speaker. It's our great honor to call to call upon. So first of all, we need to start by thanking Stories to Inspire for sending us amazing stories throughout the entire year and making this beautiful event. Before the Chagim, before the Yamim Tovim, Stories to Inspire has made a huge impact around the world in so many Jews, making sure that we get the right story at the right time. We also need to thank Torah Nitaim and Chazak. What they do for Am Israel is unbelievable. What would we do without you? Chazak Uwaruch for everything. And with that said, I would like to start by sharing a beautiful story with you from Doctora Pilar. Doctora Pilar, she's a doctor, a very famous psychologist in Chile, all the way down in South America. That's where I'm from. And Doctora Pilar helps many people overcome very severe uh, episodes of depression. And she helps them out and she pushes them through. It's unbelievable what she does. And she says an amazing story. Doctora Pilar says that once somebody, a man, came to her office. This was a man who had a very difficult challenge in life. He was blind. He was unable to see. So he walks into her office and she says, you know, doctor, I'm going through a very difficult time. I'm going through a huge depression. I am constantly sad. I can't feel like I can, you know, I, I can't overcome this. Please help me out. And she said, okay, we'll do the usual. There's a whole procedure that she has. And she always sends the first exercise she sends home. That's exactly what she did with this patient with this blind man she said take a piece of paper you know you're going to go back home you're going to take a piece of paper take a pen and write down all the good things you have going for you in your life put everything you're thankful for write it down in a piece of paper that's exercise number one 
you'll come back to me next week and we'll start from there. We'll start working from there. But we first need you to know that there are many things he should be thankful for, that there are many things, many good things in his life. So with that said, the man goes back home, back to his exercise, and Dr. Pilar stays thinking, did I do the right thing? This man has, has a very big challenge. Anyone who's been at the museum in, in Eretz Israel to understand what to be a blind man is, it's such a difficult, such a big challenge. What's that the right thing to do? This man, everything he does is difficult. Having breakfast in the morning is more difficult. Paying a bill, a simple bill, for him to know which bill is which one. Did I do the right thing? Maybe I just made things worse. Maybe this man is going to realize that there aren't that many things that he can be thankful for. Anyways, a week went by. And this man walks back to Dr. Pilar's office. And the first thing she does, she apologizes. You know, I feel like I should have given a little bit more thought into the exercise I sent you. I think maybe I did the wrong thing. But he said, you know something? I don't think so. It was actually very helpful. It was good for me. So no worries. No need to apologize. Uh, the opposite. Thank you so much. Because I feel a lot better. Okay. She said, really? Wow, that's amazing. I actually felt very guilty. Okay, that's very good. So show me your homework. Show me your exercise. Show me how you did. So the man opens this little suitcase he walks around with. And he takes out four notebooks. And he puts them on the table. So she looks at the notebook. She says, well, you know, what is this? This is it. This is my homework. You told me to put in paper to write down all the things that I'm thankful for. This is it. So she laughs. She says, you know, you're kidding me. That's not true. It's usually, you know, half a page, one page, maybe two pages. If you're very creative, where's your real homework? So he says, you know, you can, please, doctora, doctor, feel free to open it up. So she opens in the first page. And I'll give you a few of the examples, real examples that were written in this, in this pieces of paper. Page number one started from the moment the man walked back home. As soon as he walked out of the office, the first thing he thought is, I can walk. It would be so much more difficult if I was blind and also unable to walk. But Baruch Hashem, I can walk. Next thing, he took an elevator all the way down to the first floor. I live in a time, in an era, where I don't need to walk down all those stairs. For me, that would be a very big challenge. But I can take the elevator all the way down. And he paid for a cab, a taxi back home. I live in a time where there's actually public transportation and I can afford it. Many people can't afford that. I can afford it. But that's, that was just the beginning. He showed back home. He got back to his house. I have a home. I have a place where I can live. I have a roof that protects me during the day and during the night. But then, then the details started getting unbelievable in this notebook. He turns on the water. I have actually drinkable water that gets all the way back to my house. There were times that, that we had to carry water, such a heavy thing to carry around. We have to carry it back to our homes. But it just shows up right there. I just open the water. And right there I can drink and I can bath. Then you think for hot water. Sometimes we complain. Or maybe I complain. Maybe it's just me. When the water is not to the perfect temperature. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You turn on the water and you want it very hot. But it's not very hot. It's just hot. How can this be? You know, what a terrible feeling. We don't even realize we have hot water showing up to our home. Clean water. 
There are people who really don't have access to these things. Then he goes back to his bed. He has a bed with clean sheets, a place for him to sleep. One of the most amazing things he wrote there was, you know, when the day was over, then he started writing about the next day. It was a full week of this. And he wrote down one of the things that he's thankful for, the, the feeling, the smell of fresh coffee in the morning. I don't know who, who gets that. I definitely get that. What an amazing smell. He's able to smell the coffee in the morning. The other thing he wrote, unbelievable, the sound of butter. When you're putting butter on your bread, your bread is, you know, crunchy, ready, and you're spreading the butter. That sound is so, such a delicious, such a beautiful sound. And just like this, there were so many pages, so many notebooks where he put every single detail of good things that he has in his life. And Doctora Pilar is reading through the pages and she's crying. So the man looks at her and says, don't cry. Don't feel bad for me. I'm actually feeling much better. There's so many good things in my life and I didn't even realize it. And she says back, Doctora Pilar says back, I am not crying for you. I'm crying for me. Because you're the one who's blind, but apparently I'm the one who's unable to see anything. Because I would never ever be able to come up with four notebooks of things to be thankful for. My friends in Kahal Kadosh around the world, how many notebooks we should be able to write, how many amazing things, no matter the challenges, how many good things we have to be thankful for between our families, our friends, our health, our, if we can walk, if we have hands, if we can see, how many things we have to be thankful for. Tu Bishvat is an unbelievable day. This is an unbelievable month because we're commemorating, we're celebrating and we're hearing all this amazing Divrei Torah and stories about fruits, about trees, about things that are there throughout the entire year that we have to be thankful for. Sometimes we think, no, who cares? You know, fruits, they're everywhere. Who has to stop and think about that? We do. About everything we have in our lives. We have to stop and think how much we have. Otherwise, we are the ones who can't see anything. So Bezat Hashem, my blessing to all of you, to all of us, is that we should be able to see and to be thankful and to feel all the good things that Hashem sends to us every single day of our lives. If we're alive today, we have millions of things to be thankful for. Thank you so much. Stories to inspire Torah anytime. Chazak, thank you so much for everything you do for Jews around the world. Everybody have an amazing day, an amazing Chag. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your remarks. Our next speaker, final speaker, is Rabbi Meir Simcha Sperling, who is a world-renowned speaker. His energy and, and, and what he gives over to Klai Yisrael is, is, is such a self-esteem dedication. Is, it does not go unnoticed. It's a great honor to call upon Rabbi Sperling. Shalom Lebracha to everybody. Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat. I want to first of all thank uh, Stories to Inspire for inviting me once again <clears throat> to their amazing everything that they do <laughs> and this amazing story is to inspire I want to thank Chazak <clears throat> and I want to thank Torah anytime and I should really thank Kaddish Baruch Hu first I want to thank Kaddish Baruch Hu for everything so Tubishvat is the Rosh Hashanah for Ilanis the Rosh Hashanah for trees the renewal and the question is what's the lesson that we take from this what's the lesson that we take from this Tubishvat for this year 
or for every year. What is the message? What is the lesson? Kilu, <laughs> there's the lesson. But what is one of the many lessons that one can take from Tu Bishvat? And the answer is, if you take, I mean, one of the answers is, if you take a look at the tree and you watch the tree throughout the year, when it comes to the winter, what do you think the tree is thinking, if the tree could think? You're thinking like, it's freezing cold, there's snow all over you, you're beer, you're dried, dried and wet at the same time, because you have the snow on you, your leaves are gone, this is just like one bad story, like the summer you were just amazing, you blossomed, it was gorgeous, you had pink leaves, you had red leaves, you had blue leaves, for those trees that have blue leaves, just like a beautiful rainbow of leaves and everything, and now like you're all dried up, how did you survive this winter? How did you survive this turn of events, and are you ever going to get out of it? Like... Take a look at the tree, the poor thing. <clears throat> no coat. Very harsh, very cold beer. And sometimes in a person's life as well, our, uh, our fate changes. Sometimes people go through things that are very hard. And a person's beer and a person's leaves are withered. And a person is just dried up. And sometimes he gives up on himself. And he's like, how will I ever get out of this situation? There's no hope. I mean, look at the facts. This is the story of life. The tide has turned for me. The winter has come. And a person has to realize that when you take a look at that tree and you see what happens on Tu Bishvat, when everything changes, it's a time of renewal. Things will change. You will be replanted. You will regrow. Things will change for you. So too in a person's life, things will change as well. There's always going to be hope. There always has to be hope. There always has to be the, the look and the forward that there's going to be a renewal for me. Something is going to change. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants the best and does the best for us. Even when things seem bare and things seem cold for us. And the lesson is you never give up. Just like the tree never gives up, you never give up. Because the things will change. And that is the message of Tu Bishra, That This is going to be a time of renewal for us. We're going to make the Shtadlis, obviously. we got to do what we got to do to get us out of the situation. We have to remember that there's a moon over here. The lesson of Tu Bishra is the lesson of Emunah. Believing in Akadish Baruch Hu, in one second Akadish Baruch Hu could change everything. Everything. And it's very interesting that the uh, gematria of Elon, which is tree, is the same gematria of Amen, Amuna. We believe in Akadish Baruch Hu. We believe that things could change. You cannot give up hope. If you give up hope, then yeah, you're, maybe things won't change because they can change if you don't believe anything could change. And if you're not going to do the shtalas you need to do, Elon equals Amen. In other words, Elon equals Amuna. That is how the tree survives, and that is how we are going to survive. Just one small lesson that I think we could take from Tuvashrat. We need to believe in Akadish Baruch Hu. We need to believe that there is a master plan. I want to share with you a story. <clears throat> Obviously, I'm going to change all the details and all the names. This is a true story. I have the email in front of me, and um, I spoke to the people. And this is, uh, yeah, this is a true story. So there was a certain family many years ago, that a uh, very wealthy family. And one of the children of this wealthy family had to go in for a surgery. It was a serious surgery. Things looked good, but it was still a very serious procedure. And um, being the amazing family that they are, they, uh, they gave a lot of money to many different yeshivas, let's just say $30,000, to multiple yeshivas. And they said, they sent an email that there was a certain amount, that there was $30,000 uh, wired to your account. 
it's going to be a schus for Fushlema for Pliny, who is having a procedure done today. Please daven for them. It is a one-time payment. Please don't spread this. It's very private. But just know that this person is going through a serious procedure today. Please daven. <clears throat> Have the yeshiva say to him for this in this name. Reuven ben Shimon. Or ben Shimino, because the mother's name. So, right? Okay. So, <clears throat> what happened was, um, the procedure happened. And Baruch Hashem, it was a success. And all the yeshivas, you know, besiat and Shemaya were zeichet to get that amount of money to continue their amazing work with Taira. A few days later, there was a, or maybe it was the same day, actually, that I'm not sure. <clears throat> An email was sent to the family. And I'm going to read you the email. Obviously, I'm going to change the names. But uh, this is the email that was said. Okay? That was sent. Dear Plainy family. I'm reading the email verbatim, by the way. So, I mean, not verbatim because I'm changing the names, but this is the email. I cannot express my akara satayiv enough for this general, generous, I'm sorry, generous donation. And I feel that I must share with you my personal story. Tuesday morning, the yeshiva was in a dire situation. I was, we were negative in the bank and we needed to come up with $20,000 immediately. Rent was due and salaries had to be paid. And like I said, we were negative in the bank. We had nothing. We were cold. We were bare. Our leaves were gone. We were withered. There was no hope. What, $20,000? Where are you going to get that from? If that's the money, maybe it was more. A lot more, maybe. Immediately, yeah, I'm sorry, went back a line. I didn't have anybody to turn to when I felt that it was not possible to continue in this way. And I turned to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that morning and I said, I did what I could. That's it. I did my ashtadlis. Obviously, he made the calls, whatever it is that he had to do. If you want the yeshiva to continue, Hashem, it's in your hands because I did everything and it can't go on this way. And then, <laughs> right after that, your email came. And the email, the email that was sent to them was um, that this donation was just put into your account. It's a one-time thing, and please daven for the name. Your email came with the donation. The feeling of chizuk and shvach v'aydat to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, I cannot adequately put in words. You cannot imagine what this did. The day that I felt that it was cold and there's no way that it's going to go on. Your email came. The donation was put into the bank, and boom, we were able to take care of everything we needed to take care of that day. And this is right after I told Hashem, it's out of my hands, right? And if you look at it from his perspective at that time, there's no hope. Where is somebody coming up with $20,000 today? I immediately drove down to a certain place to daven for your plenty, and I hope the procedure went well, and we will continue to daven. He should have a complete refoshlema. Thank you very much. And tisklamitzas, uh, plenty. This was the email that was sent to the family that donated the money. Everybody say, this is a story, this is a true story. And maybe it's not the craziest story in the world, and maybe it's not the this, and I've heard crazier, and I heard more money. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. But it's unbelievable that when a person has a muna, and when a person says, it's out of my hands. And if you want the yeshiva, it's in your hands. If you want it to continue, it is up to you. And boom, a second later, an email comes, here's the money. Sometimes in life, Rabbi says, a true story, true story. It may have just happened, or it happened many years ago. <laughs> the point is, Rabbi say, yeah, emuna. Elon equals amen. Tubishvat is a time to realize that anything could change in the blink of an eye. Anything. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you dealt with. It doesn't matter how dark things look, what time of the winter it was, how cold it was. 
how beer it was. There is always room for hope, and there is always room for emunah and bitachon. And I'm going to say, this is the message, and I think this is so empowering, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at every single one of us as an only child, not just Rosh Hashivas, and not just Yeshivas. So your situation, whatever you're going through, just remember, this is a time for renewal. It's Tu today, or tomorrow. This is a time to tap in, whether it's with Shaduchim, I'm camping this shit. It's never, it's never going to happen. Let me look at my resume. It's never going to happen financially. Never going to happen. My children never going to happen. We also eat the fruits on Tibishvat for our children to get married, to build a family, to have children. The fruits, the fruits of our labor. I say, open your eyes, realize that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is here. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is in life, and believe. Tibishvat, the lesson is believe. Never ever give up because you never know what email you will receive tomorrow morning. Our final speaker of the night is Rabbi Pinchas Landis from Cleveland, Ohio. Good evening. It is such an honor to be part of this program with Chazak and Stories to Inspire and Torah Anytime. I mean, I just look at the flyer of the different speakers that I have the opportunity to speak alongside, and I'm just personally humbled. So I want to thank these wonderful organizations. I want to thank you all for listening, and hopefully together we can get inspired here on Tu you know, Tu is a, is a fascinating yuntiv because on the surface, it has the status of all other minor Yom Tovim on the Jewish calendar. We don't say Tachanun, we're not allowed to fast. But at its core, what is the yuntiv really about? So the Abdurav, the famous Oiv Yisrael, explains that if we look at the Jewish calendar, we can divide the whole calendar into two time periods. We have one time period that begins with the Yemea Pronios, the three weeks, starting with Shavas or Batamuz, going on to Tisha B'Av. And then we have the Yemea Din of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And even included in that is Hanukkah, representing the war of the Chashmanayim. And that time period comes to an end with Tu B'Shvat. And he refers to that time period as the Tigbaris Adin, the strength of judgment, during those several months. Now with Tu B'Shvat, we transition into a much happier time period, going on to Purim, to Pesach, to Shavuos, a time of the sprouting of, of Klal Yisrael, if you will. So why is it that Tu B'Shvat has this property of being the distinguishing point between the time period of judgment and the time period of the bearing of fruits that we see in the Jewish people? And if we look throughout Chazal and the Rishonim that comment on Chazal, we see that the theme revolves around the idea of sap. Now, what exactly is sap? Most of us probably have no clue what it is. I mean, here in Cleveland, for example, if you go outside to sit today, you see just a bunch of dead trees. They're gray, they're white, they look like they're about to completely fall over. And we actually did something amazing last night here in Cleveland. We actually said Kiddush Lavana, which is quite difficult because you could go through the whole first two weeks of a month here in Cleveland and not have a single clear night because... You know, the winters are a little dreary and overcast and cloudy here in this fine city. So you see all these dead trees. Now, if we were to take an axe and cut any of those trees down the middle, we would see that they are already, even though they look dead on the outside, they are flowing with sap, coming up through the roots, going up through the trunk, going out through the branches to eventually give way to the buds and the flowers and the fruits that will come about in the spring. So our sages say that the fact that that sap, so to speak, starts flowing on Tu the rains have fallen, the ground is saturated, and now the trees are giving their sap, 
up through the trunk, out through the branches, to eventually give their fruit and their flowers. Because that sap starts to flow on this day, this becomes Rosh Hashanah Le'ilonos. This becomes the distinguishing period from last year's cycle onto this year's cycle. And in truth, I believe that's why Klal Yisrael has such a love relationship with Tu B'Shvat. Because that represents everything of what it means to be a Jew. I mean, think about the chenuch of our children, the education of our young ones. We don't see the fruits and the flowers right away. It could take months, years before we even see the results of the efforts that we put into them. Yet day in, day out, we try and educate them. We try to teach them how to be wonderful people. And God willing, one day we see the fruits and flowers start to bud. And so often we can look at a situation and see nothing but a dead tree. Yet we know that if we give the proper influence and give the proper inspiration, then those dead trees can turn into fruits and to flowers. Let me tell you an amazing story that happened to me a short while ago. I get a phone call one night from a number that I don't recognize from the Chicago area. And at the other end is a Rabbi Shlomo Soroka, who is the head of Agudas Yisrael in Illinois. And he said, is this Rabbi Landis? I said, yes. He said, Rabbi Landis, let me tell you a story. Do you recall a young man by the name of, and we'll change the name to protect the innocent, a young man by the name of Ari Smith? I said, yeah, sounds familiar. Let me tell you about Ari Smith. Ari Smith is part of this big political think tank here in Illinois. And he has literally bent over backwards to do whatever he can to help out a good Israel in Illinois. And one day I said to him, I said, Ari, I don't get it. Like, you know, Goodis Israel is an Orthodox lobbying group here in Illinois. And that's clearly not the community you affiliate with. Why is it that you always bend over backwards to do whatever possible to help us out? And Ari said, Rabbi Soroka, let me tell you a story. When I was in high school in Cincinnati, I went to the school for the arts. And there was this rabbi who I had interacted with, who I had met. And he knew I was Jewish, but he knew that I was very different than him. He was an Orthodox rabbi. I was clearly not an Orthodox Jew. Yet, just because I was Jewish and I had an interest in learning, he used to come and learn with me after high school on a regular basis. We'd meet in a coffee shop next to my school. We would do it once a week, once every other week, whatever it was. And I remember at that point looking at the situation and saying, he's an Orthodox rabbi. I'm this high school kid who's clearly not on the same path in life that he's on. Yet still, he takes time out of his schedule to come down here and learn with me on such a regular basis. And I said at that point that if this is what being an Orthodox Jew is all about, if this is how they look at Jews who aren't exactly like them, if this is how they perceive the Jewish people, then when I have the opportunity in my life, I'm going to do whatever I can to help out other traditional Jews. So Rabbi Soroka, when I met you and I became familiar with Agudas Israel of Illinois, I said, now's my opportunity to pay back Rabbi Landis for all that time that he spent learning with me. So whatever I can do to help out you and Agudas Israel, I am always here to do it. My friends, we can look at situations in life and we see a Jew, we see our children, we see people we come into contact with, people we come into contact with at work, people we come into contact with in the street, our neighbors, whatever it is, and we can look at them and say, this is a dead tree. 
There are no fruits, no, no flowers ever coming out of this one. And that's the wrong perspective. Yet if we look at the situation and say that if we can only inspire that sap inside of them, if we can only get that pentala yid, that spark inside of them to start to flow the sap up through the trunk, out through the branches, there will be fruits and there will be flowers from this one too. And I believe that this is exactly what David Amalek is speaking about when he wrote his psalm about the redemption of the Jewish people. Shir Amalos, Beshuv Hashem, Es Shivasiyun Hayinu Kechomim. When we return to Zion, we will be like dreamers. Az Yemale Sechayk Pinu. Then our mouths will be filled with laughter. When do we laugh? We don't laugh at the expected. A person only laughs at the unexpected. When something happens that they don't expect, when it's unexpected, that's when they laugh. And David and Melch is saying that at the time of the Gula, things are going to be happening and sprouting around us. Dead trees are going to be coming to life. And the whole world is going to be looking and just laughing. Really? The Jewish people? They're at the center? They're supposed to be in Israel? They're supposed to be the center of everything? We thought they were a bunch of dead trees. And everyone will just be laughing because it'll be so unexpected. Yet those dead trees will all have the sap ready to go. We won't even see it inside of them. And it'll be sprouting up, ready to come forth. And that is the lesson we should take from Tubishvat. That every single Jew has within them that pentala yid, that little bit of sap that's just waiting to be heated up, to be sent up through the trunk, out through the branches, to bear fruits and to bear flowers. So my friends, on this Tubishvat, let's all make a commitment to be able to get out there and find those seemingly dead trees, whether they are our children, the friends of our children, our neighbors, that person at work, whoever it is. And let's inspire the sap inside of them to eventually bear fruits and bear flowers for the future of Kal Yisrael. I wish you all a Freilich and Tubishvat, and I look forward to together one day dancing in Yerushalayim when our mouths will be filled with laughter. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.